Good morning, everybody. Delighted to be in the house of the Lord with you. Thank you so much for coming. I've heard of backsliding before, but I think we all did a lot of front sliding and side sliding. But uh, I appreciate you making your way to the house of the Lord. People with problems came to Jesus. Bring your problems to church, if you can. To all of the wonderful people that are following us online in this country and others, we welcome you and we thank you for taking the time spending these non-refundable fragments of eternity that are called time with us. We're delighted that you're doing that. To all of our First Church family that for whatever reason cannot be here today, we want you to know that we love you and we really anticipate and looking forward to seeing you soon. And uh, God's been good to us. This is a very unique day in uh, this country. This is uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And and so every now and then, I take this occasion to remind you of some things that I think are parallels and some insights that we can gain from a day like this. The value of truth is never diminished because of repetition. And so I want to remind you that the original saints didn't play in the Superdome in New Orleans. The original saints prayed in Jerusalem. Their zeal for their Lord made them known as fanatics. Thus, the abbreviation, the shorter version of it is fan. Give me fans any day. The word enthusiasm finds its origin in the Greek language It actually is two words, en-theos. Theos may sound familiar to you if you've ever heard the word theology. Theos is just a Greek word for God. So when you talk about en-theos, it was referring to the extreme devotion that this original church had to the God within. You will find that champions are something that Paul referred to frequently in his epistles. I'll give you some examples. He talked about striving for the prize in 1 Corinthians 9. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain In Galatians 2, he wrote, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. There are hindrances to the runner that he referred to. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? In Philippians, he said, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, nor labored in vain. He talked about pressing toward the goal. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He talked about stripping down for the contest in Hebrews 12, when he said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight And the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He talked about the home stretch in his last book to a young preacher. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And of course, he talks about the prize that will be won when he said in the next verse, henceforth. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Wilbur Reese was a very talented writer. I found something that he wrote. He said, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul 
or to disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, but I do not want transformation. I want the warmth of the womb without the effort of giving birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a generic plain brown sack. Can anybody sell me $3 worth of God? In 1958, Yosemite's El Capitan was considered unclimbable until George Whitmore and two of his pals spent 11 days getting to the top of that amazing granite spire. Those who have ascended its peak in the last 63 years comprise a very small fraternity of people less than a thousand. But in the world of climbing, by far, the most amazing feat of all time happened in June of 2017, when a guy by the name of Alex Honnold climbed El Capitan in three hours and 56 minutes. What made his ascent so spectacular wasn't just the fact that he was filmed the entire way by 12 different National Geographic photographers. But Alex climbed El Capitan without one python, without one carabiner, without one length of rope. You see, Alex is a part of a small elite band of people known as free climbers. His commitment to his trade is obsessive. If he falls, he dies. He has no backup. He lives to drive and climb. His muscle strength is legendary, but just as legendary as his diet. I heard him speak recently and he said, I'm from Utah, I'm a Mormon. But he said, I'm a Mormon in diet only. I don't believe in their doctrine, their doctrine's crazy. But he said, I am a Mormon without God. I don't like caffeine and I don't like alcohol and I don't eat red meat. Just call me a Mormon without God. Centuries of distortion and tradition have corrupted worship into an event so staid and so stately that only the stuffiest of souls can find much satisfaction in modern day services. You see, worship is an old Middle English term that comes from the word worth-ship. And you have to understand that if you're going to be a worshiper, it's going to depend on how highly you value the God that you are exalting. What's he worth to you today? To this I simply say, I'll take fans any day of the week. Esau in Genesis 25 and 27 is referred to as a cunning hunter. But also in the book of Genesis chapter 11, there is a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod, it said, was a hunter of the souls of men. Nimrod is the man responsible for Babel and the zodiac and its signs can be traced back to Nimrod. This is where the plot thickens. History says that Nimrod had a wife by the name of Semiramis. Semiramis claimed that she was impregnated by a sunbeam, so she had a spurious virgin birth. She gave birth to a miracle boy by the name of Tammuz, who at the age of 12 was killed by a wild boar. Tammuz fasted for 40, or Semiramis fasted for 40 days, and Tammuz was amazingly resurrected. So you have a spurious virgin birth and a spurious resurrection. This is where the observant of Lent comes from. This is the beginning of the mystery religion of Babylon, the mother-son cult. Because when Babylon was gone, you will find that Jeremiah in chapter 44, 17 and 18 says, in time it was called the worship of the queen of heaven. It spread across the civilized world, this mother-child cult, mother-son cult. In Assyria, her name was Ishtar. The son's name was Bacchus. 
In Egypt, her name became known as Isis, and her son was Osiris. In India, her name was Issi, and her son's name was Iswara. In Asia, her name was morphed into Sibyl, and Sibyl had a son by the name of Diosius. In the Greek, her name was Aphrodite, her son's name was Eros, and in Rome, her name was Venus, and her son's name was Cupid. Then you will see how even now, the worship of the mother-son cult is still very much alive. Because before you get to the son, you're going to have to talk to mama. So Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now. I was in South America preaching a conference in what is known as the Southern Cone. The four southern countries that make up the southern tip of South America. I uh, was talking to a pastor who was just dismayed about the the absence of men and male leadership in the South American church. When I asked him what he thought the culprit was, he said, Pastor Hoffman, I live in a country that has been taught to worship a woman, so men feel no need to participate. I'm not exalting a man over a woman. I'd be the dumbest person on the planet to do that. I'm sure my wife quietly just said amen. They said, why do they say a man in church and not a woman? Because they sing hymns and not hers. <laughs> I'm convinced that America has weak because America has weak churches. Churches are weak because they have weak families. Families are weak because they have weak or non-existent dads. If we can fix the dad problem, we can fix the family we can fix the church. We might even be able to fix this other broken thing called the U.S. of A. Every Sunday, just like Easter, one day a year people celebrate the resurrection. I say no. I say every day ought to be a resurrection Sunday. Every day we ought to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And I, for one, am not in favor of just having one Sunday a year to be a super Sunday. I think every Sunday should be super for the saints as they stand up against Satan and the zeal of the first century church. If we are ever going to defeat Satan, you're going to have to pray, God, I want to be a fan. I want to be a fan. Let me tell you, a difference because um, it's common in church to see people straggle in. I'm so impressed today, early coming here, watching all of you sliding on these roads. Last Sunday, Monday night, it was so cold, snowing, and I was standing in my car, and I just, it was like every set of headlights coming down the quinder was turning into this church. I was just so impressed to see this parking lot filled up with people. I've been in lots of churches where people straggle in and straggle out. Even in this church, it may surprise you that Carissa has to send women away from the nursery because they'd like to go back to the nursery rather than being in church. People go to the bathroom, not because they have to, but what are you going to say? And dare I say it, there are people that linger in the vestibule because they want to talk about the job. But if you're a fan, let me tell you what fans do. They never wander in in the middle of the third inning. They don't show up in the second quarter. Fans always show up early. Fans do not care about when they get home. They love extra innings. They love sudden death over time. They're not pew warmers worried about beating the Baptist to the buffet or getting the pot roast at home. Fans are vocal. <laughs> they do not sit and watch and spectate. They participate. I read about a church. I read about a church where after the third very resounding amen a deacon asked a new visitor if something was wrong. 
To which the visitor responded, no, I'm just full of the Holy Spirit. The deacon said, well, you didn't get him here and we would appreciate it if you'd stay quiet. One of the wealthiest owners in the NBA was a young dot-com millionaire by the name of Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban is the highest and most frequently fined person in the history of the NBA. Since the year of 2000, when he bought the Dallas Mavericks, Cuban has paid $3,115,000 in fines because he doesn't sit in an owner's box or into some expensive suite. He's down with the fans right there on the floor, and he can't help himself. He yells at the players on his team. He yells at the players on the other team, but he mostly criticizes the referees to which he is fined repeatedly last February in a league, amazing, staggering. He was fined $500,000 for two words that he said to one referee. But he doesn't care because his net worth today is $4.3 billion. And he has made a standing commitment that whatever he is fined, he will match and give it in charitable donations to somewhere else. Why is he so vocal? Because he's a fan and he can't help himself. He's got to say something. Acts 16 teaches about Paul and Silas bound in jail. But at midnight, they sang praises. God heard them. The Bible said the earth is his footstool. Jesus liked the music, started tapping his foot. The platelets of the earth began to shake. There was an earthquake. The Bible said, and everybody's bands were loosed and everybody's door was opened. And it always amazed me, how could those crooks and cons and convicts stay and not leave? I'll tell you why. I've been in countries where earthquakes happen and when that kind of thing happens, the walls fall out and the roof comes down. But that jail was standing solid. I think them boys had enough sense to see, I'm going to take my chances with these two apostolic preachers. I'm going to stay right here in this place because I don't think the roof is coming down. And God gave me something years ago from this thing that freedom will never come to bound people that don't know God until freedom first of all comes to bound people that do know God. When Paul and Silas got free, everybody got free. When their door was open, everybody's doors are open. It's up to you and me who claim to know God to find a freedom. Amen. You study the Bible in the book of Job. It said in the end that God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. But when you study it, Job was sick in his body. He had boils that the only relief he could get was to scrape it with pieces of pottery. He was brokenhearted because his kids had just died. He was, he was frightened because he had lost his livelihood. He was terribly disappointed because his wife said, just curse God and die. But it doesn't talk about his sickness. It doesn't talk about his heart being broken. It doesn't talk about his fear. The Bible calls it captivity. But God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Thus, in the book of Ephesians, it said he led captivity captive. I don't care what you call it. I'm telling you, there are ploys of the enemy to do everything to get you shut up and to get you bound up so that you won't sing and you won't raise your hand and exalt the Lord, but if you'll make the effort to use your voice and to use your body as a weapon to exalt your God, there are other people that are going to benefit from your freedom. Hallelujah. Jesus called John the Baptist the voice, the voice in the wilderness. No wonder why That woman named Herodias wanted to say and said, give me his head. Because she wanted to shut up the voice of that preacher. Fans can endure anything. There's something known as the Ice Bowl, which was a Super Bowl years ago played in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Ten below zero. And yet the Packers fans didn't have shirts on, had shaved their head and put a big green G on the top of their bald pate to show their, their, their oneness and their unity with their team. They, 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 I, they, they go into field houses where it's hot enough to boil the brains of the bats. They're hiding up in those rafters. It doesn't. The many people that I've met are like an old 
pump that, 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 that used to be by an abandoned homestead when I was a kid. Froze up during the winter and dried up during the summer. But if you're a real fan... You're not going to complain it's too hot in this church or my God, we got too much air conditioning. You're not going to do that. Fans want the best seat in the house. The the corporate elite might covet the boxes and the elegant suites, but not the real fans. The closer to the action, the better. They they do not bargain for what I call the bootleggers row for golfers. They want, if you're a real golf fan, you want to be at the tee or you want to be behind the green. If you're a baseball fan, you want to be behind the ump at home plate or by the dugout of your team or maybe on the rail with a glove waiting to catch a home run. If you're a basketball fan, you want to be on that floor, if possible, with Jack for the L.A. Lakers. I, my daughter and I, several years ago, Ashley, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. And she looked at me so pitiful and she said, Dad, the Harlem Globetrotters are playing at the palace tonight. And would you please take me to see the Harlem Globetrotters for my birthday? And I said, yep, I will. So I called and reserved what I thought were good seats when we got there. Told them their name, on and on and on. This lady's punching at the keyboard. She tries it again. Finally, she gets on a radio, calls somebody else. Manager comes and he said, Mr. Hoffman, I am very embarrassed to tell you this, but we sold your tickets and, and they are gone. And my daughter was heartbroken. And it so moved that man. He said, but don't you worry, sweetheart. You're fixing to get the best seat in the house. And they took a leather couch out of the elite box and put it five feet away from the net on the floor. And my daughter and I walked out onto the floor at the palace. And they're going, who in the world is that? And there we are right there under the net, man. And it was nice. I wasn't in the nosebleed section. I wasn't way up there. It was like, wow, this is the way it's supposed to be. But I don't expect that to happen too many times in my lifetime. If you're a hockey fan, you want your nose against the plexiglass. And there's nothing more satisfying than hear a loud thump from a hundred mile an hour black piece of rubber that puts a skid mark right in front of your face. And you go, yeah, that, that's, that's the way it ought to be. Because fans never miss a game. They'll see it in person. They'll watch replays on television. They'll read about it on websites and in newspapers. Saints arrive. Some saints arrive grudgingly. They listen sparingly and they leave hurriedly. The Green Bay Packers are not owned by a corporation, but they are rather owned by the people of the city of Green Bay, Wisconsin. They are unique in that fact among all NFL teams. A man in this church by the name of Jeff Woodworth, his family has been on the waiting list for season tickets to the Green Bay Packers since 1978. They have not moved up one spot on the waiting list since 1978. As of Friday, the average price To attend tonight's Super Bowl is $7,589, if you can get one. That's an almost 20% increase over last year, which a staff member in this church who will remain unnamed attended. He told me that he had two tickets. And I said, so I'm going, right? And he said, what am I going to tell my brother? I said, you're going to tell your brother you're taking your pastor with you to the Super Bowl. But I didn't get to go. I don't want to mislead you and think that he spent $7,589 on a ticket, but had done such good work that a supplier said, I'd like to reward you, Mike. What would you like? He said, I'd like two tickets to the Super Bowl. And that's how Mike and Steve Netto ended up in Gillette Stadium last year. Fans. I told him, I was on the phone, I said, I can see it better on TV. He said, there's nothing like being here, Pastor, listen to this. And he held his phone out and you could, you could hear that, that roar, that roar. However, the, most exp- the hardest ticket in all of sports is not the most expensive It will only set you back $115. It's the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia, held every April. 
They used to have a waiting list, but they discontinued it because like the Packers, no one was willing to forfeit their place in line. You see, master's tickets or badges as they are known are fought over in divorce courts. <laughs> they are coveted when wills of the dead are probated. I think of the Queen of Sheba who rode almost 800 miles, not in a G5 Learjet, not, 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 not in a yacht, not in some expensive limousine, but on the back of a rocking animal of burden to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And it says a greater than Solomon is here. The Bible said in the book of Matthew, and the queen of the south shall rise in judgment against this generation because she journeyed to hear the wisdom of Solomon and a greater than Solomon, which tells me a judgment. There's going to be a door open behind some people and this lady's going to walk out in her finery and they're not going to recognize her, but her, her testimony is, I rode 800 miles, 1600 miles round trip just to get an answer to a riddle. You couldn't go two miles down the road to go to church to get your sins washed away and to have your spirit reborn and to have the word of the Lord placed in your heart and to enjoy the fellowship of the kingdom. That's going to be a tough thing for some people to have to deal with. Ladies and gentlemen, please understand me. Everything about what we're doing here today is his. Everything. I am preaching his word. We are filled with his spirit. We have been washed by his blood. We have been amazingly renewed in his name. It's his spirit. It's his name. It's his blood. It's his word. It's his church. There is only one thing Jesus can possibly compliment us on, and that's our faithfulness. Because it'll never be your word or your spirit or your name. So this is what you want to hear one day. Well done, thou good and faithful. And I went to every game. I went to the service in the morning and I went to the service after that and I went to the prayer meeting and I was there because I'm telling you, contrary to popular theology who said Jesus will do everything for everybody at the same time, I can prove to you in this Bible that there are some things that only show up once in your lifetime. I'm telling you, there are places that this says that Esau coveted it, sought it carefully with tears, but never did get the blessing when his daddy gave it away to his brother. That man at random that was chosen out of the crowd to carry the cross of Jesus just happened to be there at the right place at the right time. Ladies and gentlemen, when your ship comes in, make sure you're not at the bus station. I know there are services when there are some that are better than others. I get it. But I'm telling you this right now. Go to church. Go to church because you do not want to miss that one service that affected your spirit, that mended your marriage, that touched your mind, that saved your body. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. We got so many great compliments last week on Kento's message. He did such a great job. But I remember the day I dedicated Kento. And my daddy, who would love above all things to be here today right now. My dad, for years, only got two weeks vacation. He worked over 30 years at a place. But for many, many, many years, all he got was two weeks vacation. And he took one of those weeks. And we went to a camp meeting in Ohio. That was our vacation. And my mom and dad told me they were fed on the strength of that camp meeting all year long. It was at that camp meeting that I met Renee when she was 11 years old. She's always been my sweetheart and always will be. And we're dedicating Kinto. And my dad comes up here crying. He said, now, now do you understand, Harold? If I'd have never gone to that camp meeting, you'd have never met Renee. If you'd have never met Renee, you'd never got married. You'd never ended up in Okinawa because her father was the missions representative for Okinawa. You would have never been involved with Mina, amen, and her conversion. You would have probably never, ever met Makito. And these kids wouldn't be, and we wouldn't be dedicating Kinto right now. If years ago I hadn't made a decision that being in the house of God for 50% of my vacation is better than just going somewhere and doing whatever I, my, I was raised by a fan 
I was raised by a fan. <laughs> I was raised by a fan. <laughs> I want to thank so many of you that played a role in seeing that my mother and father moved in with us this week. But for the last three days over, I don't know how many times, my dad keeps saying, where are we? Whose house is this? Whose house is this? Asking my mom, where are you going? I'm going to church. Who's the pastor, Esther? She said, it's your boy. Really? My boy's the pastor? Yes. Oh, thank God. And so for the last three days, my dad has been wandering around the house. And he looked at me and said, boy, is this a beautiful house. It's a beautiful house. And I thought he was complimenting our architecture and my wife's choice in paint and furnishings. But all that went by the way when yesterday he looked at my mom for the umpteenth time and said, what a beautiful house this is. And he started to cry. And she said, what are you crying about? He said, if this house is this pretty, what's heaven going to be like? What's heaven going to be like? <laughs> I was hanging curtains for my mother yesterday. But my daddy went to sleep early. But before he sleeps every night, he starts to pray. And for dozens and dozens of dozens of times in the last couple of days, we've heard him ask, where are we? When am I going back home? Whose house is this? I heard my dad last night at 8 o'clock start to pray. And it was like he was 30 years old. And I listened to him for over an hour. Never did he repeat himself one time. Not one time did he miss a name. Not one time did he miss a name of a city or a location. I'll tell you why. Because my daddy has had a legacy of prayer for the last 70 years. That even though dementia is creeping into his present memory, there is a place in his spirit that he has ground out that when that needle drops in that groove, that old man still knows how to pray. Because I was raised by a fan. I was raised by a fan. <laughs> it frustrates me when people don't know Bible scriptures. It would shock you if you knew how many verses our young people don't know how to quote. And we're doing our best to try and remedy that. But let me tell you about fans. Fans know statistics and trivia about their game and about their heroes. Because if you're a golf fan, you know the difference between a shank and a slice, a draw. You know the difference between an eagle and a birdie. If, you, if you're a football player, you know the difference between a blitz and a bomb and a bootleg. And you know what a Hail Mary is. If you're baseball, you know what a bullpen is. You know what choke up means. You know what a dinger is and you know what the show means. And if you're a hockey fan, you know the difference between the biscuit and between the bucket. And you know what a hat trick is. Because fans really know trivia. I find it difficult to believe if you're a real trivia of Jesus, a real fan of Jesus, that you aren't going to know scripture and you aren't going to be able to quote stuff and you aren't going to be able to bring it to your remembrance. I'm looking for fans that'll fall in love with the word and start putting that thing in their spirit. Thy word, O oh Lord, have I hid in my heart that I may not set the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Let me tell you something else about all the cheapskates. Fans pay. I've never heard of scalpers' prices outside of a revival. I've never heard of people underneath a porch in front of a church said, I got a seat, but it'll cost you 500 bucks. But I was at the Brownsville revival years ago in Florida when they lined up by the thousands on Saturday coming off of buses to give $100 for a ticket to which they all pledge, I'll give $100 in the offering tomorrow. It was 3,000 tickets. They were sold out by 1 o'clock Saturday afternoon. If you didn't have a ticket, you didn't get in. At Revival went on for 19 months. Every week, Friday, Saturday, especially Sunday, those people paid. They didn't care less. 
I've heard people gripe about tithes and offerings. I want to know why. That you give 20% to the guy that waits on you, but Jesus is still only getting 10. You go to, they, they think nothing of spending $200 for watching their home. Recently, the Detroit News published that if a husband and wife brought their two kids to a Red Wings game, it was expect to spend at least $285 this year, this year. $400 billion will be bet on sporting events. I heard John Maxwell years ago talk about taking two of his pastor friends to golf. He let them go ahead of him to his favorite course. The first one said, I'm a pastor. Will you give me a ministerial discount? To which the man didn't know what to do. So he said, uh, well, it's not our policy, but okay, you can play for half. The next guy came and said, I'm a pastor too. I want the same discount you gave him. John Maxwell talked about that forlorn look on that man's face, trying to think of how he's going to explain to his boss the shortage in his drawer that evening. And then John Maxwell got up and the guy said, are you a pastor too? And he said, oh, no, no, no. I'll pay full tea, fee, tea, tea, tea fees, you know, to play golf. They went to the first tee. He set down his ball and gun. They said, John, you lied back there. He said, yeah, I had to make a choice. He drove his ball, ignored his friends, put the heavy cover on his driver, slid it back into his bag and ignored him. And they finally couldn't stand the silence and said, John, well, what was the decision? He said, I had to decide whether I'd go to hell for lying or being cheap. <laughs> Cornelius, it says, his prayers and his alms came up as a memorial before. The, it wasn't just his praying. It was his giving and his praying. Why do we quit praying when we get blessed? Pray so hard. Oh, God, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? Asking all your friends and your brothers and sisters, would you please pray for me? And we do. And then when God blesses you, you quit praying. I'm telling you here today, you need to pray just as hard after you get blessed. As you do before you get blessed. Because once he gives it to you, you need to pray. What am I going to do with this now? Please, God, I want to honor you with what I have. Because the end result of addition is called a sum. And the end result of multiplication is called a product. And the end result of division is called a quotient. But the end result of subtraction is called a difference. A difference. And I'm telling you, when you're willing to give something away, that's when you're willing make a real difference. I have a dear friend named Jerry Dean who told me recently, he said, I gave my heart to Jesus yesterday, Harold. And I, I, I've, I've known him for 40 years. And, and I, I knew he got the Holy Ghost when he was a kid and he's been pastoring for probably at least 40 years. And I said, I don't understand. What do you mean you gave your heart to Jesus? He said, because God spoke to me about Luke 12 and 34, and it says where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. It doesn't say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. It says put the money in first, and your heart will follow suit. And he said, I decided I was going to do my best to try and give as much as I possibly could to the kingdom and see if the word was true. Prove me now, and see if I won't pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. Did you hear this choir today? Did you see this fellow up here with that black guitar? All I can say is thank God. Thank God for a big SUV that ran over Draylon when he was nine years old. Because you don't know that story. But when Draylon was nine, a woman lost her child at a playground. And she was frantically driving a big SUV looking for her child and didn't see Draylon in the middle of the road and she ran over it. And she could have killed him, should have killed him when he was nine years old. But instead, they negotiated and 
they gave $37,000 to Draylon. Now Draylon has never had dialogue with his daddy. His mother's had her own troubles and demons she's had to deal with. And, but they, it was very specific. This is Draylon Young's money. He doesn't get it until he's 18 years old. Nobody else could touch it. So when Draylon got out of high school and turned 18, they gave him $37,000, which is a lot of money. To an, it's, a, it's a lot of money to me and you right now. But, but, but $37,000 to an 18-year-old boy. But this is what Draylon said. I've always wanted to go to Bible school. And I know I could never afford to go. And after four years of going to Indiana Bible, college. He said, Pastor, I tallied it up. It came right under $37,000. How many kids do you know that would do that? But he's up here today leading our worship service because an SUV hit him when he was nine. But he had a heart for the kingdom. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thomas Paine talked about the summer soldier and the sunshine patriot. What do you know about a regiment of men in dress blues marching in the 4th of July parade? What do you know about a boat safely moored in a calm harbor? The ghost in the darkness is the account of the trials and tribulations of a young engineer by the name of John Patterson, who years ago was asked to finish the delayed train rail between Uganda and Mombasa. The delay was not due to weather. It was not due to the fact that they couldn't get materials there, but rather a legendary pair of man-eating lions named by the locals as the ghosts and the darkness. They killed 126 men and women before they were finally dispatched. Patterson repeatedly fails to solve the problem. They brought in a famous a professional hunter by the name of Remington. And Patterson lost a perfect chance to kill one of these legendary lions one day when he borrowed a gun and it misfired and the lion escaped to which Remington scorned him and said, you mean to tell me you took a weapon into battle that you were not familiar with? I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, you got to get this thing grooved inside of you. You got to be familiar. You need to understand your words are weapons. They are weapons. I'm asking you, don't play games with this. We're going into battle. You can't afford the luxury of going into battle with a weapon you are not familiar with. You need to know how to raise your hands. You need to know how to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. You need to know how to pray in the Holy Ghost. You need to know how to intercede with groanings which cannot be uttered. You've got to know that. This world can be reached and the church can be victorious, but it will require fans. 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 <laughs> Leo, Leo DeRocher, who was a famous baseball player and manager, said one time at the end of a season, is this all there is? Or is this as good as it gets? Are we with the lame man of John 5 going to say, is this all there is? Is this as good as it gets? Are we doomed and damned to spend the rest of our life watching others get touched? Watch somebody else have a revival? Watch somebody else have a harvest? Or are we willing to do something about it? Because take the dress blues off of the soldiers in parade and put them in a foxhole in the front line and we'll find out what they're made of. And take the boat out of the safe harbor and put it in a storm. And let's find out what it's made of. It's not enough just for us to sit pleasantly on these green benches Sunday after Sunday. This is not the real world. The real world starts tomorrow morning. When you got more month than money. When you got to have virtual schooling with your kids. When you're going crazy with some of the stuff that we're dealing But did you hear what Brother Arnold 
said to us Monday, amen, it was so powerful. Our God Almighty, omnipotent, reigneth. He's still on the throne. He's still on charge. God sets up kings. God takes them down. Do not, do not, do not let this news depress you. Stay away from these stupid news stations. Stay away from the crazy websites that are sucking the joy out of your life. Remember that God is on the throne and I'm a child of the Most High God and I believe He is in absolute and utter and complete control. I'm done. Amen. The die has been cast. The decision has been made. We have stepped over the line. We're not going to look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. Our past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future's in God's hands. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, bare minimum, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, frivolous living, selfish giving, dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, applause, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be the best. I don't have to be recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. I lean on the presence of Jesus Christ. I love with patience. I live by prayer. I labor with the power of God's grace. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few, but my God is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of my enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up or slow up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, spoken up for the cause of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I intend to go until he comes. I intend to give until I'm dead. I'm going to speak about everything that I know. I'm going to work until he shuts me down. And when he returns for his own, he will have no difficulty recognizing us because our flag is high and our banner is clear. We are a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. We are fanatics. I am here to magnify and exalt. I'm going to lift up my head. I'm going to lift up my eyes. I'm going to lift up my hands. And I'm going to lift up my voice. And I am going to create what Isaiah said. A God that's not just high, but he's high and lifted because of what we do in this place. In the name of Jesus. I will go tonight maybe to watch the ball game. But before I ever watch the ball game, I have come here early this morning. This is the second time I've preached. I'll be at prayer meeting tomorrow night if God permits me to be alive. I am not going to sell this thing short nor give away. We've got to make this consecration commitment that we're in it all the way. We're in it all the way. We're in it all. In Jesus' name, let's sing. I want everybody, we got a great choir, but I want everybody to be in the choir today and everybody sing. God bless you. Sing it, I will praise you. Hallelujah. In me Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.